I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, March 2nd. I'm Michael Guidry in for Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a proposed teacher pay raise survives deadline day at the buzzer. Then the state economist projects how an income tax cut could affect the state. And we talk critical race theory with a student leader at the University of Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Legislation that would raise teacher pay in Mississippi passed out of committee in the Senate at the last minute yesterday. This, the conclusion for now, of a political standoff that's left education advocates frustrated. MPB's Kobe Vance reports. Two bills to raise teacher pay faced deadlines yesterday. A plan by the Senate that would increase salaries with an emphasis on experience and a House bill that would primarily raise wages for beginning teachers and teachers' assistants. Neither chamber had scheduled to take up the other's teacher pay bill prior to deadline day, and House leadership allowed the Senate bill to die. Kelly Riley is executive director of Mississippi Professional Educators. We are extremely disappointed in the House of Representatives. The Senate sent them two great pay raise bills, and the leadership of the House of Representatives has chosen to let those bills die on the calendar. And I think that is a very sad message that the leadership of the Mississippi House is sending to our teachers throughout the state of Mississippi. Although the Senate Education Committee did not take up a teacher pay bill during their scheduled meeting, a second meeting was called late in the day to address the House bill. Senate Education Committee Chairman Dennis DeBar says the House's decision was likely made because of ongoing debates over income tax legislation. He introduced an amendment to the House bill to replace nearly all of the language with the Senate plan, only keeping House language to raise wages for teachers' assistance. The bottom line is the teachers are winners here. They deserve what we did this afternoon. Uh, They don't need to be used as pawns in a game of politics. Uh, We're here to take care of teachers, to take care of the students, to improve our educational system in Mississippi. It's the number one issue for the Senate, and we will keep pushing it and pushing it until we get it done. Senate lawmakers say the bill has the support to pass their chamber and interconference, where it will be subject to further debate. Kobe Vance, MPB News. Coming up, we talk critical race theory with a student leader at the University of Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. President Biden delivered his first State of the Union address yesterday evening. In his speech, the president forcefully condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine. He also touted various elements of his now-dead Build Back Better plan, which would have directed billions in funding to American manufacturing and renewable energy. The speech was predictably ill-received by most of Mississippi's congressional delegation, which is majority Republican. Republican Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith had this to say. No amount of rhetoric will convince the American people that things are better for us since President Biden took office. Families are reminded of his incompetent handling of the economy every time they go to the grocery store, gas up their car, or receive a home heating bill. We know things are not right with the escalating violent crime rates everywhere, including small states like Mississippi. We know that allowing tens of thousands of illegal migrants and tons of illegal drugs to flow across the border is not safe or secure. Representative Benny Thompson, Mississippi's only congressional Democrat, expressed support for many of Biden's proposed policy goals. Leadership in both chambers of the state legislature say a tax cut for Mississippi residents remains a priority of this legislative session. So far, the Senate has put forth a plan that would gradually phase out one bracket of the state income tax over a period of years. The House passed a bill that would gut the income tax entirely. The potential impact of such cuts isn't entirely clear, though. That's according to Corey Miller, who's a state economist. Miller tells Desiree Fraser both bills, but especially the more aggressive House plan, will inevitably leave the state short on revenue. The question, open question is how that gap will be closed. This bill was not intended to be revenue neutral. You know, there's a, there's a, it increases the general sales tax rate from seven to eight point five percent, and that off that partially offsets the the other decreases in in taxes in tax revenues from from the uh, from the bill. But that it, it's only it's only a partial offset. What about population? Uh, in the report, it mentions a decrease in population and overall loss in personal income. Can you explain that a little bit? That's related to the decrease in state government employment. Once the uh, the income tax and these other taxes are phased, are phased out, uh, the state has uh, less revenue to spend and the way we model this in our analysis. The way the model handles that is it, it reduces state government expenditures to compensate for the decrease in revenue. That leads to a decrease in state government jobs. That is where the, the decreases in, in personal income and population that we find in the later years of our analysis under the bill occur. On average, state government uh, employees earn more than they do on average in the private sector. That's because a large portion of or a significant portion of state government employees are, are school teachers. They have college degrees. Therefore, 
more so than the population in, in the private sector. And so as, as the model works, uh, when those, their employment is decreased, um, that, leads, that leads to the, the decrease in personal income and population that we see in the later years of the analysis. Now, we'll say that the decrease in state government employment that we find under the in our analysis uh, is not necessarily, it could be open jobs that just haven't been filled. You know, it could not necessarily uh, fewer actual employees. It could just be, you know, the elimination of, of jobs that haven't been filled. And looking and, at... And these are very small changes, I will add, at, 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 at the margin. These, you know, these are not very large changes at all. Did you calculate the possibility of the population growing because there is no income tax? Yes, that's uh, that's included in our calculation or in our estimates. Yes. What did you find? Um, you know, we found in under both bills some increases in population, very small increases in population in the first year of the analysis, and then some slight decreases in population in the later years. Uh, again, these are pretty small impacts in population overall. Now, you mentioned there was a decline looking at the house plan because of the decline in state workers. There would be a net population decline there. Yes, and same thing under the, the Senate bill. Just Would it be state workers as well? Yes, for the same reasons. Um, what are the major differences between them in terms of revenue and deficit? Well, the House bill has a larger tax cut overall because the intent is to phase out the income tax completely, whereas the uh, Senate bill would only eliminate the the 4% bracket. Um, Also, the House bill has a 50% decrease in ad valorem taxes on car tags, whereas the Senate bill has a smaller decrease in taxes on car tax. Do you find that that 8.5% increase in sales tax on the House plan would plug holes in revenue? It does uh, offset some of the decreases in revenue, but not only, you know, only partially. Is there any way to determine where we could be once the federal dollars stop flowing, or do you have to wait on that? Uh, it's, It's very difficult right now to project out um, uh, beyond the next year or so, because there's still a lot of uncertainty in the economy. I mean, things look good now, right now. Um, we're, we seem to be re- in bouncing back from the recession pretty well, better than some states. Uh, but again, like we say, a lot of that has been fueled by, by federal dollars. And in, in terms of, of revenue, we've, we've, we've had a good bit of inflation. That tends to be positive on revenues, but that could, because people have continued to spend, they haven't reduced their spending uh, so far. Um, that could change depending on what happens with inflation. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you taking okay. time to, you know, highlight it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Corey Miller is Mississippi's state economist. Still ahead after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, we talk critical race theory with a student leader at the University of Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. Mississippi Senate Bill 2113, which purports to ban so-called critical race theory, passed committee in the State House of Representatives Monday. The bill stipulates that, quote, no public institution of higher learning, community or junior college, school district or charter school shall direct or compel students to affirm that any sex, race, ethnicity, religion or national origin is inherently superior, unquote. If it's signed into law, the legislation could be used to limit what can and cannot be taught in college-level social science and law courses. That's according to Morgan Atkins, who's a public policy student at the University of Mississippi and the school's associated student body president. She speaks with our Desiree Frazier. The highest concern that comes with this measure is the fact that, um, specifically with Senate Bill 2113, is that it's titled Critical Race Theory Prohibit. But in the definition, there is no clear definition of what critical race theory is. And so the biggest concern is that this legislation could be used as a form of silencing teachers in the classroom. Um, But more importantly, taking away First Amendment rights and a freedom of academic freedom and academic expression in higher education. Um, And on top of that, just and I think this is a widespread fear among the academic community, what this could do as far as like leading toward revisionist history, because with no clear definition of critical race theory in this legislation, anything could be counted underneath this. I mean, even in what they put on the Senate bill, it says um, it includes sex, race, ethnicity, religion, or, or national origin as inherently superior is how they're defining critical race theory in a sense. But that's not the true definition of critical race theory. And so I think it's leaving a lot of room and a lot of gray area for people to pick and choose what they want to apply under this law if it were to pass. And I think that's a really dangerous precedent to set as far as controlling what can be taught in the classroom. What is your definition? I know some people have different definitions, but what is your definition of critical race theory? I mean, I think my definition is probably as close to what the understood definition is among um, academics and researchers, which is it is the understanding of how race impacts like our legal history and our history of systems and systemic racism, not only in like the United States, but also in our state, Mississippi. Why do you think there's opposition to learning, having students learn about the intersection of race and law? Not that they're being taught critical race theory, but since people assume or don't want this taught, what do you think is at the bottom of this? If you pull back the cover. I truthfully think people believe that critical race theory, now that it's been made like this huge fear-mongering point by certain politicians, I really think they think it's like anti-white rhetoric or like trying to tell like white people that everything that's happening bad in Mississippi is their fault or something like that. And that's not what it is at all. It is simply trying to help people understand that because of rampant racism and racist policies and like legislators who are willing to like oppress other people in this country historically has long-term impacts still on our country. And I don't understand why truthfully people have a problem with us learning how decisions we make now will affect people for generations. Um, And I think it's really ironic truthfully when you consider the legislation 
knowing that it's probably going to pass through the House and get signed by the governor, this is directly something that will have an impact on generations of Mississippians because for the foreseeable future, there is nothing changing this once it gets signed by the governor. Tell me your observation of legislators passing legislation they can't define because a number of legislators who talked about Senate Bill 2113 couldn't define it. And then black legislators in the Senate walking out, refusing to even deal with it. I commend the black legislators that walked out because legislating things while you have no idea what you are talking about is a waste of tax dollars and honestly really insulting to the people that you serve. Um, It is a dangerous precedent to set to say, well, we think this issue should be taken care of, but we don't really know how to define it. So we're just going to go ahead and pass something and say that we did something for the sake of putting it on the book. Um, It sets a really dangerous precedent. And like I said, specifically with this instance, um, this opens the door for revisionist history. This opens the door to stop teaching students about any kind of history that makes us uncomfortable. And that's a really dangerous precedent to be setting in a state specifically where our teachers are doing a fantastic job with the resources they have, but, like, we still have a lot of catching up to do in the Department of Education. What are you hearing from other students about this? They're concerned, um, honestly, and I think that is part of being in a higher ed situation at a university. Students are definitely concerned, especially students who are in programs that have to talk about these issues. I mean, I'm a public policy student, and sometimes it just naturally comes up. And it's not that critical race theory is on the syllabus, but we're talking about how these, you know, policies we put in place now have long-term effects on our society, whether it's economic policy or health policy or anything else, like under the sun. And I think specifically, being in the honors college, I have to write a senior thesis. And one of the first things that I've talked about with a few of my friends who are also in the honors college is, this means someone could not write a thesis involving critical race theory. This means someone could not do their final research at the university if it involves critical race theory. It spans so much further than just being taught in the classroom that anybody realizes that it's like, if it passes, it's going to touch every single aspect of our lives, of our educational um, goals at the university. And I think that's just been really hard to reconcile with and kind of understand, um, especially with every day we get closer to it being a reality. But why can't you write a paper without making people feel inferior or superior? I think specifically in terms of like policy or talking about research, um, you have to acknowledge where there are systemic issues. So like if you're writing a senior thesis on voting and election turnout in the state of Mississippi, it's fair to talk about how there were systemic barriers in the past and now to minorities in Mississippi voting or in any state voting and how like voter access is not something that's still a huge option for a lot of Americans. Um, And then if you're talking about like, there are just so many fields where when you talk about where systemic racism touches, you have to acknowledge the shortcomings that can come in data or in research or in writing because of these issues. What do you say to students who agree with the legislation? You must have come across some. I always tell them that we don't have the luxury of only empathizing with existences like our own. I have been really lucky to have been able to be in positions where I've been able to listen and do a lot of learning from other students at the university. And I know other students don't push themselves out of their bubbles like that. But 
people who honestly are the biggest opponents of this tend to be the ones who don't truly understand what critical race theory is and how rare it is for it to be taught like on a syllabus in a classroom. This is a like teaching point for a course. And I think, again, it gets caught up in the fear mongering and just wanting to make it a platform point and scare people into thinking that we're trying to indoctrinate children on some type of theory. And that's just not the case. Anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to point out? I just want to say that I'm proud of our students, honestly. I know that it's not easy for us to come out and do things like this, specifically because we do know there are students that disagree with us. But the biggest thing with us being the student representative body at the University of Mississippi is that our job is to protect students' rights. And in doing this, we believe that we are trying to protect the right of academic freedom and academic expression. Will you be talking to legislators at all? Hopefully soon. We're trying to get something worked out, if nothing else, possibly phone banking. But we want to make sure our voices are heard, if nothing else. Morgan Atkins is Associated Student Body President at the University of Mississippi. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio coming up at 9. It's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Michael Gidry filling in for Desiree Frazier. See you tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.